0: I don't want to the I don't want lose. Lose to on. yes. on.
2: One of the real treasures in the holiness movement has been Noel Scott. God has blessed him with a ministry of well over half a century, and he has held the banner of holiness high down throughout the land. He preached this sermon in 2000 at the Midwest Pilgrim Holiness Camp Meeting, and he titled it, You've Left Your First Love. I know you're going to enjoy this excellent sermon. I want to turn to the last book of the New Testament, the last book of divine revelation, revelation chapter two. And I'd like to read a few verses at the beginning of this familiar chapter. Again, if it wouldn't be asking too much for those that are physically able, I'd like to ask us to stand, but those that have the care of children, it's not convenient to stand or you're not physically well, you feel perfectly at liberty to remain seated. And I would be so grateful if the Lord would lay it upon at least a few hearts to hold up our hands in prayer tonight. We all know it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit. Oh, we want the spirit to do the preaching Tonight, I would appreciate your prayers so very much. Beginning at verse one of Revelation chapter two. Under the angel of the church at Ephesus, write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my namesake hast labored, and hast not fainted. I want to pause there just a moment. That sounds like a wonderful description. Of a wonderful church. And I've thought, Brother Gray, if I could find a church like that, I'd like to candidate for pastor. Could I read that description again? I know thy works. Wouldn't we like to have a working church <laughs> and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil? And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hath labored and hath not fainted. That does sound like a good church to me. And could I throw in something else here extra and not even charge for it tonight? Now some of you may not understand that statement. Does anyone understand that statement? When I was growing up, my father was a country merchant. He was also a pastor and preacher, but he was a run a little country grocery store. And back in those far off days, things were not packaged up like they are now. And someone wanted a pound of pinto beans. You put a sack on the scales and you put a pound in there. And when you got a pound in there, you just threw a few more in extra. That's the way an honest merchant did it. Later, my father and brother bought a hardware store and nails weren't boxed up like they are now. If someone wanted five pounds of ten-penny nails, you put the bag on the scales, you put them in there, and when you got five pounds, you threw in a few more. Well, in preaching, I sometimes like to throw in a few things extra and not even charge for it. This will be the first one. I like the way the Lord deals with us as people if he's got something to deal with us about that needs correction he starts by telling what's good about us before he deals with the problem I didn't hear many amens on that but uh, that was good preaching brother Scott (laughs) I wonder if we wouldn't get along with people a lot better If we first could see that worth that's there, even though it's hidden behind a mask of maybe the wrong kinds of things that we despise, but there's still a soul that's worth more than all the world. God help us to love people in spite of some things till that love can ring true in our hearts and in our approach. And you know, I'll take almost anything from somebody if if I believe they love me. And that's the approach the Lord, though he had a correction he needed to make, he starts by telling what he appreciates about them. And now he comes to that part in spite of this long list of commendations that he gives. Then he says, nevertheless, could I put it in the Scott Unauthorized Version tonight? Nevertheless, there's something bothering me. Nevertheless, There's something I need to deal with. There's something I need to talk to you about. Oh, I want the Holy Ghost to talk to me about the things that might grieve him. And I want a heart that's open to that. Nevertheless, he said, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left. It doesn't say lost. It says left thy first love. You're not putting the proper priorities at your life. And could I throw in something else extra here? I don't think our greatest danger is going out into some gross, unthinkable sin. But I think it's getting our priorities mixed till we lose that first love. The wrong choices lead to the wrong consequences. And someone said sooner or later, I have a time getting my scripture read sometimes, sooner or later, all of us are going to sit down to a banquet of consequences. If we've made the right choices, there will be wonderful and delectable delights that banquet, but if we've made the wrong choices, we'll have an eternity to regret that we misplaced our priorities. You don't have to be an adulterer. You don't have to be a thief or a robber to miss heaven. All you have to do is misplace the emphasis and the priority. Please pardon me. I'm trying to get through my reading. Thou has left thy first love. Now, third and finally for these extras before I finish reading my scripture. I'm glad the Lord doesn't just diagnose the disease, but he always prescribes the cure. Three doses in this prescription tonight. First, remember... Remember what it used to be. Remember what it was like when you first got in. Remember. Remember, therefore, where you used to be. Look back up there that high cliff where you used to dwell from where you are now. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. And secondly, repent. Repent of what? Repent of what caused you to lose that first estate. Secondly, repent, and then thirdly, redo. Do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Father, as we fellowship around thy word for a little time here tonight, we pray that the same Holy Spirit that inspired this passage to be written, will inspire it to be preached and to be received. Lord, give all of us an ear to hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Without choosing a single verse as a text tonight, I would like to lift three thoughts from this passage. I want to note, first of all, the knowledge that God possesses, for he says, I know. Secondly, the deficiency which God discerns, I've got somewhat against thee. And finally, the remedy that God prescribes. I like this word that is so prominent in this passage. In fact, in all seven of the letters that are written to the respective churches, the same word is used, I know. God doesn't guess about things. He knows. We go to physicians here and... uh, We call it practicing medicine. Sometimes they practice on us. And some of it's not very pleasant. And sometimes they make mistakes. But God never makes a mistake. I like what A.W. Tozer says about the Lord. He says, God can't learn anything. Do you like that? God can't learn anything. The reason being he always already knows everything there is to know about every one of us. He knows what I am. He knows what I came from. He knows what I ought to be. He knows my yesterdays. He knows my today. He knows my tomorrow. He knows what I stand for. He knows what I stand against. There just isn't anything about us. He knows. I'm glad he does tonight. You know the fact that God knows could make you feel Good. Or it could make you feel badly, depending on where you stand before the Lord tonight. If we've got something hidden, something we want to keep hidden, it's a dead giveaway that God has knowledge of that already. And we might as well not play games with him because he really knows. Again, I like what A.W. Tozer says, He said the fact that God knows each person through and through can be a cause of shaking to the person that has something to hide, some unforsaken sin, some secret crime against man or God. The unblessed soul, he says, may well tremble that God knows the flimsiness of every pretext, and he never." accepts our poor excuses for sinful conduct since he knows perfectly the real reason for it. The psalmist said thou hast set our iniquities before thee and our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. He knows. You remember in the gospel of John it says concerning Jesus he had no need that anyone would tell him about what was in man. Because he knew. And I'm glad he still does tonight. And I want to tell you something. It's blessed to me to know that God knows everything about me, about you. There's things I don't even know about myself, but he knows. I don't know my limitations, but he does. He he knows the inner feelings and intentions of my heart, even when people don't. He knows. I'm glad he does. Again, Tozer said it this way, to us who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us in the gospel, how unutterly sweet is the knowledge that our heavenly Father knows us completely. Listen to this. He says, no talebearer can inform on us No enemy can make an accusation stick. No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to embarrass us and expose our past because God already knew. And I'm glad no unsuspected weakness in our characters can come to light to turn God away from us since he knew utterly before we knew him and he called us to himself in the full knowledge of everything that was against us. Well, probably no one else would have chosen us, but he did because he knows. I'm glad he knows tonight. He knows my aspirations even when I don't quite make it. He knows what I want it to be. Someone said, I'm not what I used to be and not what I ought to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be because of the grace of God that reached down and lifted me out of the maury clay. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm glad he knows. And to this church, he said, I know. And he knows your church. He knows every individual in the church. Everything about every individual. I know you don't have church bosses among the Pilgrim Holiness Church. But I, I heard a preacher say he'd rather resist, he'd rather fight the devil than fight a church boss. He said you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. But you resist a church boss, he'll jump all over you. I guess I kind of agree. <laughs> I'd rather fight the devil than a church boss. But I'm so glad that God knows. And he knows what we're trying to get done, even if we're not getting it praise God for him. You know it's interesting to me that throughout this passage to all seven of the churches he makes that statement but in the second church that he addresses in verse number 9 I didn't read it but it's right there close by where you had it open where he said to them also he said I know thy works that means he knows what we're doing and then he says I know your tribulation he knows what others are doing to us and then he said I know poverty he knows what we're doing without he just knows the whole picture and I'm glad he does tonight blessed be God and he also knows how to remedy every situation that we bring to him blessed be his name now just a moment here on a, a bit of word study there are at least two there may be more than that and I'm not informed but there are at least two words in the Greek language translated I know The common one is the word gnosko. It's the word that we use for intellectual knowledge. I know a few facts of history. I know the multiplication tables. I know this fact, that fact, or the other fact. It's just dealing with with knowledge, cognitive knowledge, pieces of information, I know. But that is not the word that's used in this passage. He's not saying, I've just got a file on you. That's not what he's saying. But it's rather the word oida, which literally means exactness of spiritual perception. You know, sometimes we appear to be better than we are. And sometimes we feel worse than we are. But when the Lord says, I know. It's exactness. He knows exactly where I am. He knows exactly where you know are. He knows exactly the right prescription to give, the right treatment to involve. He knows tonight, and I'm glad he knows. There's times I've been confused. You never have. I, I can just tell by looking at you, none of you have ever gotten confused. Never. But I've had to say, Lord, I don't know where I am. But like Mother Adcock said, I know where I want to be. And we can have that settled eternally. And it'll never waver. And the Lord knows that desire of our heart tonight. I know. I'm glad He does. And someone else said that this Oida could be loosely translated, being exactness of spiritual perception, could be loosely translated like this. I have your picture. I have your picture. Now, probably there are no other people here like me in this respect. I do not enjoy having my picture taken. Anyone else strange here besides me? I freeze up in front of a camera. I'm more relaxed talking to a crowd of people that I am standing in front of one camera. I get a silly grin on my face, supposed to hold it there a while. <laughs> I know none of you ever have done that. but uh, Now, my wife is so photogenic, and my sister, so, I mean, they look beautiful, every picture ever taken. Out. But I've yet to find one that I really like of myself. I just know I have to be better looking than that shows, you know. I better get off of that right away. I don't know altogether why I don't like my picture taken. I'm going to suggest just a couple, couple of possibilities. For one, cameras don't lie. They tell it just like it is. And they tell me some things I'd just soon not be reminded of. They tell me I've lost more hair up here in the front than I like to think about. They tell me I'm carrying more pounds than I like to acknowledge. Maybe that's one reason. Don't like the picture taken. (laughs) There may be others. I think I'll just leave them. How'll that be? But here the Lord is saying, I have your picture. And again, that could make you feel good. Or it could make you feel bad, depending on what side you are. But I had another thought about that when I thought, he has my picture. Let me ask you, whose pictures do you keep? Whose picture do you have? If I visited your home, whose picture would I see on the bureau? Or lining the walls of the height of the hallway. I can tell you without even coming to your home, it's the people you love the most. It'll be your children, their companions, grandchildren, if you have them, and great-grandchildren. I can tell you a picture, Sister Scott's got in her purse. She's got a picture of that grandson that went to heaven recently. We still like to look at it and think about him being over there in God's kindergarten. It's the ones we love the most. That's the pictures we carry. And if the Lord sends me word and says, Son, I've got your picture. It tells me I'm special to him. It tells me he loved me. It tells me I'm on his mind. It tells me he's a willing help. He'll be there as a friend that sticketh closer than he That's the reason he has our picture. Not because he wants to find fault, but because he wants to help us in every area. And he keeps our picture. I've even got my grandson's picture on my little laptop uh, screen. When I, every time I boot up the, the, the computer, there he is riding my little lawn tractor and I'm walking beside him. Why, he's special. And I know the Lord is looking down on his children tonight because we're special to him. And when he comes to tell us, after dealing with the knowledge that he has about us, he comes to to, to discern the deficiency that, you know, there is in the camera world, and I'm, I'm very ignorant about this, you can touch up pictures, and the blemishes can be taken out. Maybe I'd like to get my picture taken if I could get on the right trail of someone there. But I'm glad whatever shows up in my picture that Jesus has, he has a way of taking care of that defect and removing that blemish and bringing out a photograph that will conform to the image that he wants to be found in me and in you. Oh, thank God for his knowledge, the knowledge that he possesses. I'm going to leave that right there and go right on to the deficiency that God deserves. Friend, I don't want someone, I don't want a doctor that'll tell me everything's all right when I've got a dreaded, fatal disease. That's not being kind to a person. I, I wouldn't want a doctor like that. I want a doctor that will level with me. If I've got a few days, I'd like to know about it. And I'm glad Dr. Jesus comes with the truth and gives us the true picture. And he's described this wonderful church with all of its assets, with all of the commendations that he can make. But he said, there's something that's happened to you. Friend, if you read the New Testament, probably no church has come up to this thing. The height, the dizzy spiritual heights, as it were, that the church at Ephesus achieved. I don't know anywhere that Paul bounds to such heights in, in oratory and, and a wonderful inspiration as he describes the love of Christ that is found in that church and his desires for that church. But you know, within 30 years after that, there had come a decline that Jesus had to deal with, the deficiency. Friend, we haven't made it into the city yet. It's wonderful to know that we're saved. It's wonderful to look back and know we're sanctified. But, friend, it's another thing to maintain that walk and not be deceived and not let down and not till we lose that first love and fail to maintain the fervency that there ought to be in our hearts and lives. All of you know the story that Vance Havner tells of going to a restaurant. Another preacher had taken him to the restaurant And he said it was one of those restaurants where it was so dark in there, you could scarcely stumble your way around to find a table. Now, I'm not sure what business a preacher would have being in a restaurant like that, but he said that's the kind it was. But he said after we had gotten seated and were there for a little while, he said our eyes began to adjust And we began to be able to see around much more clearly. And he said the pastor that had taken him there, as they observed how they could see now, one of them said, or he said, funny, isn't it how we get used to the dark? And Havner said, I had my message that quick. And friend, a lot of people have made adjustments. And they think they've made progress. But what's happened, they've gotten used to the dark. They've gotten used to the cooler spiritual temperature. They've let down so gradually. They scarcely realized anything had happened. For that can happen in lukewarmness. That can happen in our spiritual life. It can happen so gradually that we scarcely realize what has taken place. And he said, you've left something. You've departed. You you don't love me like you did when you first got in. And friend, the real acid test is not going to be how many souls I passed, I won, how many churches I pastored, how much my name was known across the country, but did I keep that first love? Did I keep my priorities straight? Did I keep him in first place all the days of my life? And friend, little shifts can take place And it can happen so innocently. Financial pressure. Till we work more hours. And have less time and less strength to give in to God's work. And little by little, that work and that money can become the priority. Till we suddenly wake up, or I hope we wake up to the fact, I've cooled off. I've left something. I'm not what I used to be. And friend, it can even happen getting too busy in Christian work. You don't have to be in a secular job. There's so many demands. There's so many calls. Friend, if you were two people you probably still couldn't get it all done the way you'd like to do it but if we're not careful, the fire will go out on the altar of our heart and we'll find we don't love Jesus like we used to and don't love souls like we used to and we don't have that flame burning on the inside. I think the most moving account I ever heard along this line was an account that I heard given by Dr. R. G. Flexon. I heard him preach, I believe it was when the when the IH convention was still in Huntington, West Virginia, I heard Brother Flexen preach on this text, not this outline nothing else that I'm using except what I'm giving you right now. But he told about a time in his own life when he leaped out and lost the fervency of divine love. Now, I believe I'm preaching to a crowd that knows the name R.G. Flexen. I would believe that R.G. Flexen was probably the greatest soul winner in the holiness movement in his heyday, probably started more churches, visited more mission fields, raised more money for missions and other phases of the work of God in Bible colleges, perhaps more than anyone I've ever known. But I'll never forget in that message, and I want to tell you ahead of time, I went to the altar at the close of that message for I felt he spoke to a need in my own heart, Brother Sheridan but he told about the time when he was president of a pilgrim college it was in the state of Virginia it's been closed many years now he was also district superintendent of the pilgrim holiness church of that area and I do not know the boundaries of the area In addition, he preached to 150 people every Sunday morning. In addition, he taught 10, 11 hours in the college every semester and spoke regularly in chapel. Now, I don't know how many full-time jobs that would be, but it seems like it would be at least three or four. But he said during that time, he woke up suddenly to the realization, and these are his words. He said, I woke up to the realization that the birds weren't singing in my soul. We might use the term joy bells or the keen edge or some other expression that we use. I must have said it wrongly. I don't know if I did, but I hope you understood. But he said he woke up to that fact. The birds weren't singing. And he said, I went to school that morning, and I believe I have it right in my notes. I don't have them with me, but I believe he said he had 18 theology students in his first class in the morning. 18 preacher boys. And he went into the class, and he said, boys, We're we're not going to have class this morning. He said, the songbirds aren't singing in my soul. He said, I've lost something out of my heart. And he said, I want to kneel down here by my desk. And he said, I want you boys to gather around me and pray. And he said, I don't intend to get up till the songbirds are singing in my soul again. Don't you appreciate people that are open and honest? Some people, well, we talk about the man that lost the axe head off the handle. Some people would just swing faster so they wouldn't notice. But that man stopped swinging. And he said, alas, master, I've lost something. And it wasn't mine. It was borrowed. Friend, if we lose the keen edge, we've lost the thing that gives the cutting edge to our ministry. And we can't afford to go on till we get that and get that cutting edge back on the handle. Do you remember the man of God in that day? Cried out to the prophet, Oh, it was borrowed. And I like the way the prophet dealt with it. Where? fell it. Where did you lose it? You remember what the scripture said? He showed him the place. And most of us, if we've lost something, we know where. It's usually the neglect of the prayer closet. It's neglect of taking communion time alone with the Lord. Where did you lose it, Brother Scott? Showed him the place, and you know, it wasn't long when he showed him the place till a miracle happened, and that iron did swim, and he reached out and took hold of it again, and soon the chips were flying. He got back what he lost. You know, the old devil would tell us if we lose something, well, you might as well give clear up. You might as well go back to. Uh, but do not pass go. Go direct to jail, you know. You might as well give the whole thing up. You'll do it. I want to tell you something. You can have it better than you ever had it before. Oh, my God, there's a precious. And he's there to give us the help we need in time. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The woman that had ten coins and lost one. I like several things about that. Number one, she didn't throw away the other nine. Again, that's what the devil tries to get us to do. And the man that lost the axe head, he didn't throw the handle away. He held on to what he had. (laughs) Keep doing that, friend. God will restore what's been lost. And that woman, when she realized she lost, did you notice what she did first? She lit a lamp. She got light on the scene. Friend, if you lost anything, get the lamp out. Get the light out. Look in the light. Let the word of God to our feet. A light. She got a lamp lit. And she began sweeping the house. And I know homes were different then, but I just have to think in these terms. I think she moved the furniture around. I think she lifted the carpet. I think she, and do you know, do you remember how long she sought? How many remember? Till she found it. How long will I need to think? You, till you find it. And you know, when she found it, nobody had to call and ask her. Have you found it yet? She called her neighbors and said, rejoice with me. I found that which was. And friend, nobody will have to ask you if you've got it back. You'll be calling others. You'll be testifying. You'll be praising. Well, I'll get back to Brother Flexon here. He said, I'm not going to get up. The songbirds are singing. Brother Flexon said, we got down and we began praying. And he said, we prayed through the entire class period till the bell sounded signaling the end of the period. But he said, nobody got up. We just kept on praying. And he said, we prayed through the second class period till the signal sounded again, indicating the end of the second hour. But he said, nobody got up. We just kept on praying. But he said, "We hadn't prayed long into that third class period." He said, "When I heard the first faint chirp, And he said, it wasn't long till the birds were singing merrily in my soul again. Oh friend, I'm glad we can get back what we left." I'm glad we can be restored to that first love. I'm glad we can have a new infilling of the blessed Holy Ghost. I'm glad we can know a fresh outpouring of his spirit. And I think we shouldn't get up till we know it's done. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he said, Brother Flexon said, when the birds were singing merrily in his soul again, He said, I made a vow to the Lord that day. He said, Lord, I'm never going to get too busy, even in your work. For everything he was doing was the Lord's work. A missionary told me, he said, Brother Scott, I can have a missionary service seven nights a week and get lean in my soul if I don't take time for personal, private, communion with the Lord and you can too he said I made a vow to the Lord I'll never get too busy even in your work till I lose the songbirds out of my soul and I have reason to believe that brother Flexen kept that vow I had the privilege of being co-evangelist with him in what was perhaps the last camp meeting that he ever preached till he went home to be with the lord he was somewhere in his 80s i don't know how far up in his 80s but I want to tell you that man preached with unction and power and anointing and that altar, which in my memory seems like it was about as long as this one, would line from end to end, service after service, because the man of God had the, had the power of the Spirit reigning within his soul, and the Spirit used him to bring souls back. Oh friend, I'll never be an R.G. flexin', and maybe you'll never be either. But I believe God has a ministry for every one of us, and He'll use us if we'll keep the fullness of His love, keep the fullness of His spirit, keep the fullness of His power. And Jesus said in this word to get it back, He said, "Remember what you used to have. Remember, therefore, from which thou art fallen, and bring it, bring the need back to Jesus." I'm glad we have that privilege. Remember, repent. And he says, do the first works. And I don't know altogether what the Lord means by that. But I believe when he says repent, I don't believe he means go back and repent of the sins that you repented of when you first got saved. Of course, if you're totally backslidden, you would need to have thorough repentance. But I believe it means repent of the thing that caused you to get lean in your soul and to put other things first and leave your first love. Repent of that busy schedule. Repent of whatever it is that's robbed you of the glory and the power upon your life and ministry. Remember... Repent and redo. I'm glad tonight that the Holy Spirit is here to help every one of us have the kind of camp meeting we need to have. I'm going to ask our musicians to go ahead and come while I give this closing thing tonight. It was the great revivalist Finney of an earlier day Who used to make the statement that real revival, real revival begins with the very best people in the church. I believe that too. I believe that's where it begins. And Finney said it begins with the very best people in the church doing two things. Number one, getting absolutely right with God. Everything up to date, everything right up to where it needs to be, till there's no condemnation, no uneasy question marks, but the Spirit witnessing that all is clear. Friend, if we've gotten too busy and lost the witness, we need to come back. We need to remember. We need to repent. And we need to redo. Oh, friends, I believe the Holy Spirit always honors honesty. I don't want anyone cast to anything they have. I'm not in that business. doesn't give me any pleasure. But, Fred, if we're not where we used to be, I think every one of us ought to be getting down before God and say, Lord, search me out. Look things over. Lay your finger on anything. That needs the attention of the blood and restore me to that place of victory and power and anointing. I believe the Lord wants every one of us. The only place to live is with the witness. But, friend, I can testify I've gotten too busy and I've gotten too involved in too many things till I lost that clear radiance and witness of his spirit till I had to pull in for some repairs. I mentioned this morning I wish I could testify that since the Lord had sanctified me that I'd never failed in any way, that I'd never made a bobble, that I'd never had to pull pull in for any repairs, but I can't testify like that. But here's what I can testify to. I've always found him in present hell, in trouble, and a friend that sticketh closer. And I mentioned the verse this morning that I love so much out of the 23rd Psalm. He restoreth. He restoreth my soul. I want you to know the Lord has our picture tonight. He sees anything that needs to be different. And he invites us to remember, to repent to redo and make him absolutely first in all things in our lives.
0: We want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been And pets, I don't wanna lose the fight, I don't wanna lose the fight.